there's that one approach where, hey, we're just going to talk about the behavior, but we're going to completely gloss over the fact that there's a reason you're engaging in this behavior. It's connected to the fact that you have this emotional pain, right? Because you're you're dealing with a struggle, you're, you're dealing with a hurt, and now you need to figure out what to do with it. Welcome to another episode of Sex Plus Christian Parents Podcast. Today, I am thrilled for the conversation we're going to have. In the past, we've addressed how to parent your children through struggling with pornography. But in this episode, we're going to dive deep specifically for parents, dads really, and how their struggle with pornography affects their family and how you can overcome this addiction. We're going to listen to Carl and he's going to tell us about his story, his ministry, his life, and how he overcame this very same battle. I am a pastor, technically speaking, so I'm ordained, but I don't actually preach anywhere. And if I did, I'd probably have like three people show up all the time. So, <laughs> um, but I'm a pastor. I'm a neuro health brain coach, and I've been working in the areas of, I guess you call it porn addiction, sexual brokenness, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it, in that area of ministry for close to a decade now. We run a ministry, or I run a ministry called Live Free, and we have two primary resources or programs. We have a online small groups, so you call it small groups uh, if you're in the church world or if you're in a non-church world support groups, right? But it's an online small groups ministry where people show up every week, do an hour video with uh, eight to ten people. We have these groups for men, we have them for women who are struggling with porn as well, and we have them for spouses. Uh, so for the women who are married to the guys struggling with this stuff because they need support. And then we also have the Live Free Community app, which is a online community for men dealing with this stuff. And in there, uh, we have free workshops, a lot of teaching. Uh, but the biggest benefit of that community is the community. It's the fact that these guys have a place where they can come and be honest about their struggles and be accountable to each other and be encouraging to each other and also at times challenge each other. It's awesome. So we start this episode with Carl's testimony because it's a powerful example of the freedom that one can find from pornography. Now, one of the things that, that Carl does so well is not only sharing his testimony, but then giving tools to help other people that might be struggling in the same ways. So often with ministries that focus on the issue of pornography, there are not individuals that have ever struggled with pornography. So even though they might be giving good tools, they don't necessarily have sympathy or even empathy for the draw, the the wanting to engage in something like this. And so I, if you're someone who is a father uh, if you're even a mother that's engaging in the act of looking at pornography and a lot of the stuff that comes along with it, please, please, please engage with what is happening here because he knows what he's talking about. He's been around so many other individuals, men and women that have struggled with pornography. And, and yes, his story is going to be speaking from the perspective of a male and much of this episode will deal with that. I think what he has to say about both pornography's draw and impact is super important. So I was first introduced to porn when I think I was about nine or 10. And it's hilarious because when you hear these stories, you're like, does that really happen? And it happens all the time, at least 
in my age, because I'm 49 now. So back then we didn't, when I first was introduced to porn, there was no internet or anything like that. But I was at a friend's house and he had a Playboy magazine uh, that he had stashed in the woods under a rock. I don't know why people stash paper in the wet woods. But apparently that's just something you do with porn, right? Because I've heard plenty of guys who said they've been introduced to a magazine in the woods from their buddy. That was like the first time I was introduced to it. Then I went into college. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't a good Christian boy in terms of my virginity. Uh, slept around, did some things, looked at porn on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, it's, I, when I talk about where guys are in their journey, there's like stages, right? And so most people don't start off in the in the shame stage. Like uh, a lot of people start off in the curiosity, oh, this feels good stage. And then depending on, I guess, their, where they are with Jesus or maybe their religious upbringing, sometimes they might jump right to the, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe I'm doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or if they were like me at that point where I was just completely disconnected from my walk with God, I didn't care. And then when I finally met my wife around 30, she kind of brought me back, introduced me back to like this idea of like, hey, you you say you follow Jesus, you need to like kind of look like it. And she didn't twist my arm or anything. I just knew that my wife was a very godly person and she wasn't going to put up with my bullcrap. So I had to kind of get my life together, start going to church again, start doing all the religious practices that a good Christian boy does. And so I had this porn thing. So then I kind of shifted gears where now it wasn't, I necessarily felt bad about it, but I knew I had to get rid of it at some point. And then as my relationship with God started to grow and I started to like actually let conviction take its place in my life, I started realizing that this stuff was a real problem and uh, it was messing me up and it was not good for my marriage. It was not good for my walk with God. And then I went into that, what I like to call a binge and purge stage where I, I binge on porn and then I go three or four days without it and just caught in this vicious cycle of I'm going to go do it. Now I feel shameful about it. I'm going to try to swear it off. Then I go right back to it. Yeah, it was just one of those things where I, I didn't finally turn the corner on it till my perspective shifted and I started realizing that this uh, weight that I was carrying around all my life was really keeping me from doing the things I wanted to do in my life. And uh, it was just um, it was just a value proposition moment for me. It's like, hey, Carl, do you want to keep doing this, which you don't feel good about anyway, and blowing all the opportunities you have to, to do what you want to do? Or are you going to get serious about this stuff and put your goals and your values and uh, and those things. Are you going to put that at the top of the list of what's important? Let's transition now to Carl as he's going to draw a connection between his pain and his struggle. This is key because there's always a reason that we struggle with our sin or with addiction. It just doesn't happen out of anywhere. Carl is going to do a great job connecting these dots. Here he is. I never really connected it with with pain in my life or things that I that 
were really eating at me, right? And so I had worked in the insurance business with my family for about 17 years. And I did not go into that business because I love insurance because insurance, I, I did not get any fulfillment out of it. But it was just one of these things that I kind of fell into. And I was like, well, this makes sense. I make all right money and it's here and I'm helping my family. So I might as well stick with it. But over time, what had happened is as I was working through this, in my opinion, dead end career, I felt like my purpose was not really being met, right? Like I wasn't doing anything with my life. I had gone to college with a lot of guys. I was in a frat and a lot of these guys were actually upwardly mobile. And I'm hearing about they have this salary and they're doing this with their life and they got this going on. And I'm like, here I am in this office, shuffling paperwork, doing a job I can't stand. And I just really felt like I was missing something in my life. So I felt led, I guess, by God that I was supposed to do something at some point in ministry. And I didn't know what it was. And I talked to my wife about it and we were praying about it and said, you know what? I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm I'm going to go to a seminary. I'm going to get my master's and, you know, at least prepare because I do believe in preparation, right? So we dropped the we dropped some money. We took out a couple student loans. I went into a master's program uh, for seminary, right? And uh Right around that time, an uh, organization that I know you're familiar with, Triple X Church, they, at that time, they were doing mission outreaches to porn shows, like legit, like they would go in with porn stars and, you know, there were uh, all sorts of things going on in, in these conventions of 10, 15, 20,000 people. And they would set up a booth and they hand out Bibles that says, Jesus loves porn stars. And I was like, man, that is super cool. And I ended up applying to go to an outreach while I was struggling with porn. Don't ask me, it would take too long to get into the details of how it all worked out. But let's just say I didn't lie to get my way there. I think it was like a God-ordained oversight on someone else's part, but they were like, yeah, you're a part of the team. And I'm telling my wife and she's like, you really think that a guy who struggles with porn should go to a porn show to hand out Bibles? And I'm like, no, but I just feel like I'm supposed to do this. And she was like, okay. I went up the night before the show to their quote-unquote training meal. And after the training meal, I started talking to this guy who uh, who worked for the organization. And I asked him what he did. And he said, well, you know, I do this and that, but I, I work with a lot of pastors. I was like, oh, how's that? He's like, that's eh, not fun. I was like, oh, okay, why? And uh, he said, well, you know, I'm working with pastors that are dealing with this stuff. And a lot of times I'm telling them, like, they need to step back for a season because this is not good for them. And I was... It's like, what? You you tell them what? And I, I read all the verses that he started quoting, but I just never had let them sink in. He's like, oh, yeah, Timothy and Titus and whatever. Uh, the qualifications of an elder and a leader are pretty, pretty explicit. And like, listen, if your life is being wracked by porn, you probably should take a break and get your stuff together. And man, like, that hit me like a million bricks because then I went home that night and I was like, this guy, of course, he had no idea that I was dealing with this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this young guy basically just told me, Carl, what the heck are you doing? Like, you're going to seminary, you're doing this, you're doing that, and you still haven't cleaned up this crap that you've been carrying around for 30 years. And uh, that was just a shift for me.
what I know is some of you might be listening to this and actually might be conflicted, might actually be sitting in shame. And I want to free you from that. What I want you to be able to do is to engage this story. And although Carl's story may resonate, may even be similar, there are going to be moments, there are going to be times, maybe it's in this episode where you hear it and it causes this shift, this switch, but there's more that needs to be done. And I want you to listen as Carl talks about what it took for him to grow and officially step out of the struggle he was having with porn into freedom. For me, it was all about purpose and wanting to go somewhere with my life and wanting to do something better and bigger than just you know insurance, shall we say. And I just realized that, man, this this stuff I was dealing with, it was it was keeping me from that. And you know, when I used to and most guys are most guys are here, I you know, when it comes to this type of stuff. When you're dealing with porn, we think very short term. So it's like, oh, should I look or should I not look? And like the benefits are like, well, if I look, well, the benefits are pretty obvious, right? Um, but if I don't look, uh, well, the benefits are I won't feel shame and I won't feel guilt. And, you know, it's kind of this bargaining, like, well, is it worth looking? Uh, but I just started thinking to myself at that point, it's it's no longer about the short term. It's the long term. It's like when I indulge in this, if I keep doing this, it's going to keep me away from that. And that is so much better than what I have. And that's, that's really what I want. And it just became a priority thing for me at that point. And so now, not that I instantly didn't want to look at porn anymore, but I will say like it was kind of a click moment where the next time I came up to a computer and the thought was, hey, Carl, you could go look at porn. Instead of getting into that, oh, should I? Uh, it sounds good. But then I'll, be, I'll feel guilty. Like the shame and the guilt and all that stuff, that, that wasn't even an issue anymore. It was more like, oh, okay, Carl. You can go look at it, but you realize if you look at it, all this stuff you're doing right now, you just got to put that on hold again. And I just wasn't willing to do it, man. That was that was a compromise I wasn't willing to make. The value proposition, shall we say, between porn and not looking at porn had drastically shifted uh, now that I realized that when I was indulging this, in this stuff, it was going to keep me away from what I thought where I was supposed to go with my life. Something at Project 619 that we take very seriously is always trying to point towards our success point towards something bigger. I always say it as a greater yes rather than a lesser no. So often what we do in issues of sin is we focus on the no. We 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 don't want to do something, so what do we do? We say, no, I don't want to do that. Yet the reality is our strength really comes in what we pursue that is a yes, like that is where I want to be. I, I don't know about you as you engage your uh, flock as a pastor, Thomas, but is this something that you see that you try to accomplish in your own preaching or in the work that you do with some of the counsel that you provide to your congregants? Absolutely. In fact, I, as you were talking, it made me think of Colossians, and I use Colossians 3 a lot. You get the put off, put on language, and a lot of times people just focus on the put off, the stop, the no. But the Bible never does that. The Bible recognizes there's things we have to to put to death or to take off, but you always have to move towards something else. There always yeah, has to good. be a greater thing you are uh, adopting or walking into. Otherwise, you just fall back into the same way. Gosh, yeah, that's that's so that's so true. And and, and I think there's even uh, stuff that we find uh, in psychology that actually points to when we point to a positive rather than a negative, it has more impact. And I I think this is very true for us as parents. 
because I want you to listen as Carl now talks about this because we might, I know I do often feel ill-equipped, even though I might know these conversations, we can still feel not equipped enough to engage and especially our own brokenness when that gets in the way. And I, I want you to listen to Carl as he talks about facing our own sexual brokenness. You're not alone. Like there's a ton of guys out there that are all dealing with this stuff. And, uh, and yeah, you feel bad about it. You feel dirty about it. You're like, oh my gosh, how can I leave my family and in the area of sexuality if I'm so sexually broken? And these are all kind of, I'm not going to say they're not legit concerns, right? Like how are you going to talk to your son with authority about, hey, this is why you keep it in your pants. This is why you shouldn't go look at this. When you're, when you're doing the same thing, like it's really tough. I guess on some level, it's a little hypocritical in some regards, but I think that's why you see so many pastors who are afraid to tackle this topic because it's like, gosh, like how do I get up and preach about this to, you know, 100, 500,000 people, whatever, 10,000 people when I know that uh, just three hours ago, I was uh, looking at porn and masturbating myself, right? Like they just, they feel like complete hypocrites. So they, they just don't say anything. And, and I get it. But it's a complete, I mean, that's such a mistake because then what happens is you'll pass these things along to your kid. So that's the one issue is like, you, because you're feeling so much shame about it, you are not creating a safe place to talk to your kids about it. And so they're going to go get that information elsewhere. And that information 99% of the time is going to be bad information. This is absolutely true. I can't tell you how many of my brothers in arms I've seen struggle one way or another with this uh, exact thing and then it makes it really challenging to deliver the fullness the wholeness of god's word um, and it affects their relationships and so i i understand completely not just what he mentions but how it can ruin and destroy the individual the family and one's ministry you know, you, you mentioned something there, Thomas, that I, I, I want to ask because you mentioned it, it holds people back. And, uh, you know, I know you're speaking of pastors. Uh, do you see their own sin and what's happening and their lack of ability to provide grace in their own lives as something that holds them back to be able to provide grace for their own flock? Absolutely. Absolutely. Or the pendulum can swing the other way. Sometimes they become extremely gracious, almost dismissive that it's a problem because it's their way of trying to say, well, if I don't recognize that you're struggling with it, then I don't have to recognize I'm struggling with it. So it, it can be either extreme of I can't give grace or I'm willing to give more than I ought because I'm, I'm still hurting and needing help rather than just the biblical truth of, hey, there's grace and repentance meeting at the same junction here. Yeah, you know, and that's so true. And, and I think it's just as true for many of our listeners that are going to be parents. And I just want to say to you, yes, there has to be a work that's done in your life. And I, I, I see this often. One, I always say to parents, you got to be talking to one another. If you're in a, a, a home where both parents are, are there engaging in these conversations and being real with your own so sexual brokenness with one another can be so important. But if you're in a home and it's just you finding other individuals that you can be honest with and receive not just grace but truth and and i think both are very important and we've got to be able to provide that truth and that grace in our lives and we also got to be able to find ways then that allow us to provide that to those around us and specifically our children and i really love where carl goes with this 
if you're dealing with it, I'm telling you right now, you know what you're going through. You know the pain it causes in your life. You know the shame it causes in your life. You're probably thinking to yourself, hopefully you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd do anything to get rid of this. And so far you've been unsuccessful. Like, do you really want to pass that along to your kid? Because I'm telling you right now, if you don't deal with it, it's going to happen most likely. Most guys that I talk to who are dealing with porn, their dad dealt with something sexual. Their dad dealt with something sexual. Like it just, it just happens, you know? And my wife and I talked about this years ago with our family history. And there's a lot of it, you know, not just with my father, but with other people in our family, like just a lot of weird sexual brokenness things where you're just like, Hmm, that's kind of strange. Um, and my wife and I were like, yeah, it ends here. Like we're done. We're not passing this along to our kids. There's no way. If you've been a listener for any period of time, maybe you heard episode three when we had Marty and Crease, and that's really what Carl is talking about, the idea of leaving a legacy. And and if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I highly recommend going back and, and listening to it because it's just two parents that are that are living this out. And the idea and the opportunity we have as parents to leave a legacy is so, so important. Now, we've spent a lot of time on Carl's testimony, but it's it's really helpful because it allows for us to just hear another person's story in the midst of this. But let's transition now to some practical steps. He he gives some great practical steps, and I think you'll appreciate this as someone that is engaging with the content that he's sharing. Yeah, I, it's funny because over the years, um, I used to think like, oh, well, we'll go do this or go do that. And uh, this idea of being involved in some sort of community was like this kind of like side thing. It's like, oh, this is kind of helpful, but you really need to go, you know, do a course or talk to a counselor or whatever, whatever. Uh, and those things are all good too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I have come to realize over time that I had it all backwards. So the first thing I truly believe this and this is why we have the ministry we have i truly believe the first thing you need to do is talk about this stuff get your tribe get your community of support because the stuff we're dealing with it's simple in some regards but it's super deep and super complex in other regards and chances are you're not going to flip the switch and go from porn addicted dad to dad it no longer looks at porn is completely free like that almost never happens i'm sure there's like that one in a million guys out there that has that story but generally that's not the way it happens it is a journey uh, because you gotta learn all sorts of things about yourself and about the pain you're dealing with and why you cope the way you do so the best place you can start is to just talk about it you might come like so with live free i think that's why the people that come in this community welcome it because it's, man, they're coming in and they're like, some of these guys like are, are, are really honest, which is so great. And it's just like, man, I have no idea what I'm doing or where to start or what this is about, but I know I'm going to start talking about it and try to figure it out. And that's huge. That's huge, man. When you, when you can talk about it and then hear other people's perspectives, um, a friend of mine, who's actually one of our contributors, Stephen Luff, who's a, uh, he's just really smart guy. He's got a whole bunch of letters after his name. Uh, I did an interview with him for uh, for our monthly teaching a couple months ago um, about this. And we were talking about the topic of small groups and support groups and like their role in this whole recovery process, if you will. 
And I remember what he said to me, he said, hey, you know what? A good support group or a good small group is not one where everybody shows up, talks about their crap, gets a bunch of pats on the back and goes home. He's like, that's not the purpose of a support group. He says a good support group or a good small group is where guys come, they talk about what's going on in their life, and then they listen to everybody else so they can get another perspective on things and say, hey, you know what? What he just shared, that's something I kind of deal with, but he's managing it a whole lot better than I am. Like, I don't I don't have to go look at porn when this happens. Oh, when my boss yells at me, maybe my boss is the one with the problem. Maybe I'm not the one with the problem. And it's like, just a lot of good stuff happens, man. When you start engaging in these conversations with guys that are maybe a little behind you, maybe right where you're at, or hopefully a little ahead of you, like just good things happen when you get into these conversations. So that's the, that's the number one thing I'd say is you've got to dive into some sort of supportive community. One thing that I love and that Carl brings up is this concept of community. Because when you look at scripture, when you see God's design for people, for us, it's to do life in community with other individuals. We weren't yeah. created to be alone. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I would 100% agree that we are built for relationship, that there is something within our DNA that calls out for that. And, and it's a part of how we've been created. I think the thing that I, I, and, and Carl gets to this, but I, I like to even push a little bit further because one of the things that he talks about is the sharing of story of engaging another person's story. And, and I think that community is not just all of the same socioeconomic gender age. Like a lot of times it, it, it can actually be varying. Now I think with this issue, yes, I, I, I'm a fan of having it be gender sp uh, specific, but I think that in general, one of the ways that we grow as a kingdom community is that we have a varying group of people that are sharing and, and we're learning from and growing and it helps us engage not just their story, but our story. And I think that one of the things when it comes to pornography, so often that happens is, is we get into an accountability group, everyone's struggling with the same thing. And instead of heart change happening, we just see rule change occurring. We, we don't see the freedom that can often happen when there's really big heart change. And what I mean by that is we get so focused on the nose, what we're not going to do. No, don't look at that. And then we slap each other on the wrist and then we move forward without saying, what are we here for? And I think that when you have community with a variety of stories, it reminds us like, it's not just, it's not the sin. No, it's, it's about, it's about a glory that's greater than the sin. It's about us pursuing Jesus. I, I, Thomas, you, you can, you're a pastor. You can speak into that probably even better than I did. What do you think? No, you, you nailed it. But here's the challenge that we've even found at church here is most people, when they think of these small groups or community groups, uh, it's exactly that of this. Let me get into the same uh, socioeconomic group. Let me like get homogeneous group. Right. Right. There's actually a book um, from Nine Marks. I love Mark Dever. I love the work those guys are doing. There's a book they wrote called The Compelling Community. And what they argue is you actually want a community, a group that reflects more about Jesus than just the people getting together. So if yeah. your group can get together and they play racquetball, 
that's a great group, but it's not necessarily a Jesus uh, pointing group because you guys could play racquetball even if Jesus wasn't a topic of conversation. This is where we get things mixed up. And this is what you're talking about, Jason. When we start having groups that actually decide they're going to come together because Jesus is the unifying theme, that means you're going to get all manner of people from all walks of life with all different struggles. Now we're going to move to something greater than us. And that's, that's a great word. where things yeah. change. Gosh, that yeah, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that, and I think that that's 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 vital, and I I really want for our audience to engage with that. Uh, there are other practical steps, and Carl does get to that, so I, I do want you to listen to what he has to share next. Once you do that, and you start talking about it, you're going to start kind of figure out the things that you need, right? You're going to start figuring out what is missing in this plan of mine. I'm in the community. What do I got to do next? Oh, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm dealing with a lot of pain and I don't quite know where that's coming from. Maybe I should go see a counselor, right? Or, oh yeah, I always thought this was just all about my penis. Um, I had no idea that there was this brain stuff involved. Maybe I should go read this book or do this course or do this practice. Like you're gonna you're gonna start to put together the missing pieces uh, once you start processing this stuff with other people and figuring out like see what they're doing and start connecting the dots and realize like oh maybe I should start doing some of that myself here's one of the things I just really appreciate about what Carl does is he's going to separate freedom from sobriety and I think being able to separate the two is going to be incredibly important because so often what we can find ourselves in the midst of when it comes to the conversations around pornography is more around rules and 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 regulation and sin management then it really is about true freedom and i i really really want for us and for anyone that is engaging in any sort of sexual sin especially when it comes to pornography i think the goal that he's getting at is freedom so any type of substance abuse but we're just going to stick with porn obviously you'll hear the term sobriety quite a bit I mean, all the time. In the app, I see guys saying, hey, 14 days sober, 15 days sober. And again, nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, I said it this way to somebody. I wouldn't go to uh, a financial planner if he files bankruptcy every year, right? So, I mean, you can't say you're free of porn if you're using every day or using every week. Like, there's uh, the fruit, right? There's this. You, your life has to show evidence of your quote-unquote freedom. But at the same point, sobriety can't be the ultimate goal. And for a lot of guys, it is. It's like, hey, as long as I'm sober, I'm good. And I've met guys that have been quote unquote sober for years. But when you get into a conversation with them, you know, they still can't go to the beach without blinders. Um, there's, it, they're, they're very much still in a daily struggle to like manage their desires. It's just an ongoing thing, but they've just come, they've, they've become so adept at basically using mechanisms, right, to, to navigate these moments that it's just, that's part of their life and that's how they stay sober. But in my opinion, like if if you're constantly still dealing with the, the struggle to go look at it, I don't, I don't think that's freedom, right? Like you're, you're still very much trapped by this thing. You're just not indulging in it, but you're not free of it. Uh, and I would even go one step further is I've met guys who maybe they are free of 
it in terms of it's not a daily struggle anymore, but they still struggle with the shame. Um, they still can't talk about it. I, in fact, I had a conversation with a pastor one time where he was saying something to me about, well, you could talk about this. I, I don't know if he was inviting me to talk to talk somewhere. I can't remember what the conversation was, but I just remember he had mentioned how he's a pastor and he, you know, he had a passion for this because he used to deal with it, but he, he doesn't really feel called to talk about it. He's, he, he doesn't like talking about it with anybody. Like, so there's this guy who has this amazing journey of restoration, but he refuses to talk to anybody about it because the shame keeps him from doing so. And I would say, that's not freedom either, man. Like freedom is, dude, you know what? I don't deal with this on a daily basis. Um, I don't do it either. And you know what? I can talk about my journey without feeling all creepy and dirty about it. Like that's, for me, that's real freedom. Uh, sobriety is nothing but just the absence of the behavior. That's all it is. Uh, it doesn't go any deeper than that. But you need it, again, because you can't say you're free if you keep using the thing that you're trying to get free of. I mean, that's just common sense. Now, we've spent a fair amount of time discussing uh, the individual who's struggling with pornography, right? In this case, uh, looking at a man who's wrestling with this and how to to break free and what does that look like and mean. But I, I want to transition to the other part of this equation. That's the spouse, the, the wife particularly for what we're discussing. We have to recognize that while the husband is trapped in this struggle, in this addiction, it doesn't just impact him. And we've said this briefly, but now we're going to really talk about the deep hurt that hits his wife, the deep hurt that's left for her and how they need to wrestle through this together. So there are the women who are married or in relationships with men that don't want help. And that's a problem. I mean, I would tell them, hey, like, listen, it's a... it's your bedroom too. And if your husband refuses to do anything about it, that's infidelity. And I don't have a problem with you going to him and saying, look, you got to get your crap together or this can't go on. Like personally, I, I just, I think that's fine because like he clearly has checked out and uh, you're not as much a priority as, as you should be. And sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, that's, that's, basically what you call a rock bottom moment, right? Where where now his behavior and bad decisions have caught up with him. And now he's at a crisis point where he has to make a decision. And hopefully that's going to be the trigger to get him working on working on himself. For the women out there who are married to men who recognize this as a problem, maybe they are getting help. Maybe they're not getting help because they don't know where to start. Maybe they're, they're still, you know, in this fantasy where they think that they can actually manage this thing by themselves and that it'll just go away at some point, which again... It's a complete fantasy. Um, for you, I would say, yes, um, what is going on there is a form of infidelity. And uh, you have every right to you know, check out if you want. But uh, I don't think that's really what Jesus would teach. Like we, we need to show grace. We need to show love. It doesn't mean that he deserves it, but that's what we do. And, uh, you know, if my wife had decided to check out on me, I probably never would have got much better. Uh, but she, she stuck in there and, uh, and we work through this stuff together. And I think that's the, that's the big key is like, if you're going to work through this, then really work through it together. And that doesn't mean, um, you managing him like a parent, you know, like that's not what that means. That means like, Hey, listen, you're going to get, you're going to take some steps to get some help. 
Um, we're going to figure out what those steps are together. We're going to kind of draw up an action plan. And, uh, and you're going to stay accountable to me in terms of your action plan. Like you're going to say, hey, hey, I went to group this week. This is what I learned. Hey, I went to counseling this week. This is what I learned. Hey, I met with my accountability partner um, just like I do every week. And we talked about things and, and I'm in a good place. And, uh, you know, I'm getting better. And, and like it's just, yeah, the, the more you can work together with this and keep the dialogue healthy and open, I, th I think the better you're going to do that, and, and you're going to see some real progress. Before we transition to some closing thoughts from Carl, I, I think it's really important for us to say something specifically to wives that might be listening to this, females. Now, one of the things that I always recognize in a podcast episode like this is that you have Carl, you have Thomas, and you have myself, and we're all men. And I, I think that we can leave out the wife, we can leave out the female. And I want to say two very quick things. First, if your husband is struggling with pornography, you are going to need a community of other individuals, other women that are going to be able to walk with you in this. There is really no right answer to this. I know that uh, Carl spoke clearly about infidelity. And I think that even if you're a husband and hearing that, that's really hard. But I... I I think that we have to find a way to engage this with both truth and with grace. And each story is going to look different. But he is right. If you're able to engage, that is not the thing that you have to do. It is a thing that you get to choose to do. And that is really important to separate. So if that is your story, first, I would find a community of people. If you're a spouse, if you're a wife, and that is your husband, I would find a community of people that you're able to walk with in the midst of this that are going to come along this journey. And it may not just be habitual. It may be addiction, which means that there is going to have to be a professional that gets involved. Now, let me also say this. If this is your story and you're a female, then I think you being able to recognize that you are not the only one, that there are other females that struggle with this and finding community is going to be just important. It's going to look a little bit different, but it's going to be important. I think that one of the things that we wanted to do on this episode is specifically talk to the dads because we know that in higher numbers, it's typically fathers that struggle with pornography. But I do not want to leave out the women. I do not want to leave out the wives. And I also don't want to give a mandate for what should or should not happen. I think we can turn to scripture. I think that the Bible can give us some guidance, but there are not mandates. And so what we do is going to have to be led through prayer. It's going to have to be led through a community of people being led by the Holy Spirit and you being led by the Holy Spirit in your response and your reaction. To me, shame is such a big factor in all of this. In fact, like when I try to explain like, well, what's live free about? If you had to sum it all up, I'm like, we are an anti-shame ministry. Like that's really for me what it's all about is like, because you can't get help if you if you refuse to talk about it, right? You have to be able to get past the, sh at least the initial shame of being able to talk about it with other people that struggle with it. That's that's what we're about. Is like, and it's not even, it's not even just that. Like, my goal is to get you to a point where not only are you uh, able to talk about it with others that struggle with it, but 
you're healing yourself and you're going to get to the point where you could actually talk about this stuff in real life and not feel like you have to crawl into the wall after you share it. Thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the Sex Plus Christian Parents podcast. Jason, you've got something to tell the people before we go, though, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Hey, remember, you can support the work that's being done both through this podcast and through the ministry of Project 619 by becoming a Patreon supporter. We are now live and in full effect on Patreon, and we would love to have you come alongside, partner with us. There are some great incentives if you partner financially. We would just be so blessed, and we would be so grateful. And Wow, we're just blown away. We have had a great first year. We are growing exponentially, and you have been a part of that. If you're able to walk alongside us financially, we'd appreciate it. But we're just so grateful that this has been a successful year for the first year of our Sex Plus Christian Parents podcast. Thanks for listening.